the only social media app that doesn't tell you what the Chinese government wants you to hear. Or the FBI either. The coercive power of government. Download the free Seville 1075 app. Surveillance Mike sold separately. And joining us from the Attorney General's office, and my apologies, and please apologies uh, to Chloe as well. I did get an email uh, reminding me, and it was just in one of those times where I needed somebody to, to ring a very loud klaxon to remind me, because <laughs> emails can be too quiet sometimes. Uh, Attorney no General, problem. You know, we, no I was problem. talking uh, about um, the these January 6th videos that Kevin McCarthy released, and I know this is a national thing, but it, it speaks to justice i think uh in terms of we've talked about this on a local level with using security footage using security camera frozen moments and things like that and the admissibility uh, of that and and how you know you have to be aware that things like video can be manipulated uh and edited to make a story if you if you're not careful with it uh, jason uh, as as attorney general what were your thoughts when you started to see the the this these 40,000 uh, hours of uh, extra footage that were left out of the January 6th presentations? Well, I mean, I think that the, the, the some likes the best transparency as a general rule. And uh, I wanted to get to the truth of what happened on January 6th. And I think that really when you go back in time, I think there was a, a missed opportunity because when when Speaker Pelosi, the traditional rule when you have these type of committees is you have equal representation. They will mm-hmm. allow the minority party to be able to pick uh, their representatives on the committee. And for the first time, that was overridden. Uh, right. They decided you're not going to be able to decide who's on that committee or not. And um, and Nancy Pelosi handpicked her people. And there was not a real bipartisan committee, yeah. in my opinion. Exactly. And I think that is really... Um, because I think the American people, what I've, and this is what I've said back, dating back to the pandemic, um, treat the Americans like adults. Treat the American people like the adults. Give them the entire picture. I mean, the fact that now we're finding out what's happening with the, with the, with the lab leak, mm-hmm. um, and whatnot after being told for two plus years there was no lab leak. Um, but I will say this, I, I as much as I, I was frustrated by what Speaker Pelosi did, I also think that Speaker McCarthy missed an opportunity as well. And by that, I mean, um, he should have released the videos with, and, and Tucker Carlson is an opinion journalist, but he's not a news journalist. He's a very, very, he's a, he's a talking head on a show. He's not a news journalist. And I think he could have gone to, say, Brett Baer or somebody else that is a traditional news journalist to release the videos, because now what you're having is on the other side, people saying, well, you're doing the exact same thing you're accusing the January 6th committee of where you're releasing selective videos and not all of mm-hmm. them. And so I say, let them all out. I mean, personally, yeah. I saw what happened on January 6th, and it boiled my blood to see officers in some of those situations being assaulted. That was simply not acceptable. As somebody who is very pro-police, I was extremely unhappy with with that, I thought it was a, a deplorable action to ever assault a police officer. I don't care what context it is. But I think you need to have all the videos. So treat it, like as I said, treat the American people mm-hmm. like adults. Um, I think I, I trust their judgment to come to the right conclusion. So, so I can infer from that if you ever come across any video, you, you're going to go to my news director, not to me, for release of them. 
So, um, I just, I think, notice, notice how no, I inferred myself I like in there. Buddy. <laughs> I, so, Jason, I want to talk about the because we actually brought up the D.C. crime bill and what it tells you about uh, what the legislators actually think of law uh, when it when it actually might befall their brownstone in you know in Georgetown. Um, when you when you see them vote, uh, you know, all of a sudden they 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 get the law enforcement um, and. and Jesus, if you will, uh, when when all of a sudden it might actually impact their home, even you know, for the few months of the year they're in D.C., uh, what does this tell you about what's happening in Washington regarding the rule of law, you know, writ large in the country? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. It is uh, a, another example of this criminal first victim last mindset. And for your listeners, the D.C. City Council passed a radical left-wing criminal justice, quote, reform bill, and I'm putting that in air quotes, that essentially abolish almost every mandatory minimum for almost every crime. And it was so radical that the D.C. mayor opposed it. The Washington Post editorial board opposed it, which you know is is in no way conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got to President Biden's desk, and Congress, by statute, um, Congress has oversight over D.C. local government. In other words, anything D.C. Council does, Congress can override, because that is not a state. It's federal land, and that's one of their statutory and constitutional duties. And Joe Biden eventually opposed it, but he did not oppose it, which I find I'm just incredulous, is the fact that every Democratic member of the Virginia delegation uh, sided with the D.C. City Council and said it's okay to abolish all mandatory minimums, reduce penalties, on a host of different crimes. Now, mind you, particularly in Northern Virginia, these are constituents of theirs that commute almost daily into the district. You've had 94 carjackings in just the first two months of the year in D.C. alone. Crime is out of control. And, yes, it's D.C., but if D.C. has a crime problem, it's also a Northern Virginia crime problem because it affects Northern Virginia residents. And I could not believe that you had all of these Northern Virginia Democrats that have sided with this radical, far-left, social justice, criminal-first, victim-left mindset. And even the D.C. U.S. attorney that's appointed by Joe Biden said this bill would fundamentally undermine public safety in the district. And they give you perspective of why this is a problem. The D.C. police chief had an amazing press conference recently where he talked about opposing this bill, and he talked about and he said, if you want to lower crime in D.C., the way you lower crime in D.C. is you get repeat violent offenders off our streets. And he pointed out that the average arrest record of a person that has been charged with murder in Washington, D.C., is they've been arrested 11 prior times. Oh, my 11. gosh. Yeah. So that is exactly, and you see this replicated all over the country, this, this notion and what the media often fails to point out is that these individuals, are individuals with extensive rap sheets. They have been uh, convicted or arrested multiple, multiple times, and they're back on the street. Oftentimes, they've, they've had a slap on the wrist or a very reduced sentence or a suspended sentence, and they create more victims. And the great irony of all of this with these social justice warriors is oftentimes they are hurting the very people they claim to be trying to oh, help. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it's infuriating to see it because I hear it when I go into communities and I talk to constituents. Of people that have lost loved ones where their, their, their murderer is never caught and, or the person that has committed a violent act against them or a member mm-hmm. of their family 
is out on bonds, back on the streets. Sold fentanyl to them. Yeah, to, to, sold fentanyl to somebody's you know high school kid, and uh, now they're gone. I mean, it happens right here. I mean, we we see it in Charlottesville. Uh, you know, with the with these uh, shootouts going on here, uh, Charlottesville suggested doing a a gun buyback, which I pointed even pointed out that the Pew Research Center said doesn't work. Uh, the way they're purporting yeah. it to, um, but but you know, it still seems like they won't speak the word drug gangs. Um, you know, when we have parents yelling about fentanyl running loose on the streets, these we we just had a thirteen year old with a gun chasing yesterday, yeah. chased into the woods. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are these are kids who are getting these guns from drug dealers who they're working for. Uh, they're fighting out rivalries. Why can't we be honest about this and at least go after it uh, that way? I think that's the frustration is that we live in a time where you can't. You can't say up is up or down is down because somehow that is seen as that's going to uh, be offensive or mm-hmm. not politically correct. But that that belies the way we all live our daily lives. We all have common sense. We all understand that if I have somebody that's been arrested a half a dozen times with violent violent offenses in their past, then let's make sure that person is not on the street. Um, and mm-hmm. that's why when you know George Allen instituted his three strikes you're out rule. It works so well because at the end of the day, it was this notion that, listen, if you do, if you, if you're a repeat violent offender, you're going to be paying a very, very high penalty. Mm-hmm. And that's the quickest way to lower violent crime. It's been proven time and time and time again. But what happens is oftentimes, and Joan, you and I have talked about this before, you get these elected officials that think, well, if I have good intentions, they'll mean guarantee good results. So I can propose things even if it's been proven in other areas, it hasn't worked, but all that matters are my intention. And I'm a data-driven guy. I want to see what works. And mm-hmm. the reality of what works with violent crime is not, say, going after law-abiding, gun-owning citizens. It's going after the law-breaking, those that are right. committing violent offenses. And you get those repeat violent offenders, and you get them off our street. That okay. lowers a crime, that reduces victims, that makes safer communities. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really heartbreaking. I've never seen a greater disconnect between those that are in um, academia or those in news journalism, the way they cover the topic, and what I hear when I talk to individuals and communities that are the victims Mm -hmm. of high crime, what they're feeling. They're feeling fear. It's not an academic exercise for them, and they're begging for help. They're actually asking for more police. They're they're telling me, I want to see more police on our streets. I don't feel safe going out at night. And nobody in America should feel that way. That is incredibly frustrating and a remarkable, amazing country this is that any American anywhere feels that they can't live their best life because they're looking over their shoulder in fear. That is beyond frustrating. I know as a first-generation American, I'm sure your mom sits there and remembers, you know, some of the fear in Cuba before she emigrated. But before we run out of time, I know you were involved in investigating TikTok. Uh, The federal government said you have 30 days to get TikTok off your phone. I can take an app off my phone in a lot less time than that. Uh, what are you hearing in your investigation, the multi-state investigation into TikTok? Uh, and, and was that too lenient to say you have 30 days to get it off your phone? Does that just give the Chinese well, Communist Party 30 days to well, gather everything quickly? It's, 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 uh, it's for federal employees. Governor Youngkin wisely already banned it for state employees. Uh, I would have done it immediately and say you have 48 hours to do so. Um, 
but the Governor Biden, I mean, President Biden runs at a different pace than Governor Yunkin, I guess. Mm-hmm. Listen, I think, uh, you know, we're investigating the impact that this has had on our, our kids at, at the federal level, the national security aspect where the amount of data that's being turned over, but particularly for our kids, we are seeing, uh, this huge impact of social media where, where 40% of children ages 10 to 13, 10 to 13 in this country, are either on TikTok or Meta social media app. And these videos are designed to keep you hooked. They're short. They're 30 to 45 seconds. First of all, it's meant to keep you on your screen. And then the second is the videos they show you oftentimes are are having horrific influences, which is either self-harm, how to do illegal narcotics. Um, you know, they had one that was a profile of a 15-year-old girl in the first video that showed up on the feed was how to date an older man. Um and so you have these types of videos that are having a negative impact. And you know, the last study showed that one in three teenage girls in America today have had suicidal thoughts iteration in the last 12 months. It is ha- we are having the impact social media is having on our kids is enormous. And uh, we want to know exactly what they knew and the algorithms that are showing up. Because in China, TikTok cuts off after 45 minutes of use. It doesn't work at all after 10 o'clock at night. And it's a complete total ban for anybody under the age of 15. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, to, it is a totally different uh, type of app in China than what they allow in the United States. And it's beyond troubling. So we're taking them to court to get documents. They decided that they could try to defy us. Uh, it's not going to work. And so we're aggressively, um, seeking to hold them accountable. Well, and certainly get to Jason's office. It's National Consumer Protection Month, and when they're going after people who get EBT cards, we have sunk to a low place, Jason. Uh, but I'm going to have to run here. Uh, I hope you agree with me. I mean, if we're scamming EBT card recipients, it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. It's bad. What, what we're having right now, what I do want to just tell your listeners is, listen, if you have a dispute with a retailer or you think someone has taken advantage of you, you don't have to hire a lawyer. Uh, we have a consumer protection uh, line and a consumer protection office. We have a dispute resolution unit that we have set up in our office. We have resolved several thousand cases where we just let the retailer know, hey, our office is involved. This mm-hmm. is a complaint. This person thinks that you had a false warranty or you sold them a lemon. It was a vehicle sale. And so reach out to our office. You can go on our website. Just, just Google Attorney General of Virginia. Go to our office. You can navigate very easily. And there's also a database where you can look at companies, whether they've had prior complaints as well. If you're thinking about whether you want to work with a company, uh, we're happy to work with you guys and um, mm-hmm. provide this provide this service for our constituents to get these type of resolutions resolved if they don't have to spend money for a lawyer. Well, I appreciate it. Jason Miaris, Attorney General of the Commonwealth. Sorry for the late start on that. And again, no problem. I, I realized after the fact that Chloe did send me an email yesterday and I just didn't see it. Uh, so uh, you no have a problem. great morning, and uh, we'll talk to you again in a little you while. You too. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye.